Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Worship is central to the whole Christmas story. You know, it's interesting. You read the Matthew, uh, the account of the Christmas story in Matthew. You read the account in Luke. And one of the things you find is that whenever people came in contact with the message of, of Jesus coming, to earth, their, their response was worship. So you have Zachariah the priest, he worships in Luke chapter one, and you've got Elizabeth, and when she hears Mary, uh, John the Baptist inside of her, he begins to, to move, and she's filled with joy, she worships. Mary worships as she thinks of God's goodness to her and, and letting her uh, be the mother of the Messiah. The shepherds in the field, the angels, they're worshiping, they're declaring the glory of God, then the shepherds are worshiping, and then the baby's born, and, and uh, what happens is they go up to the temple to present Jesus and according to the law, and as they're there, Simeon, an old man, he begins, he sees the Christ child, he worships, and then Anna, an 84-year-old woman, she begins to worship. So everybody is worshiping. Anybody who comes in contact with the story of Christmas begins to worship. Even somebody who is not a believer understands that Jesus was meant to be worshiped because you have Herod and he says to the Magi, go and find the child and let me know where he's at so that I too may go and worship him even though he had no intent of doing that. So what I want to do in the next few moments is just Matthew chapter 2, look at one of the aspects of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So this is probably uh, what we're reading here happens probably 18 months after Jesus' birth. Uh, It says after he was born, during the time of King Herod, he is a king who is ruling in Judea, but is not himself a Jew. He is an Edomite, and he had become king um, by ingratiating himself to Rome and gaining Rome's favor. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The the Magi, and so typically in our Christmas story, uh, we've talked about this before, you have the guys on the camels, and and usually you have three camels, and there are three kings, and we three kings of Orient are, and all of that. Uh, None of that is based on historical fact, and in fact, there were no camels, and there there wasn't any of that happening at the manger for sure. The Magi are a group of people. They would be to the Persian nation what the Levites would be to the nation of Israel. They were the priestly tribe. And as priests, they were skilled in astrology and astronomy. They didn't distinguish between the superstition and the science. They studied the stars. They watched the stars. They were the interpreters of dreams. In fact, you find in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel, uh, under the reign of the Babylonians, becomes chief of the Magi. 
So when we read what we're reading in Matthew and you wonder, well, how would Magi in the East know about a king born in Judea? You have to believe the godly prophet Daniel influences the Magi. And so there is a portion of this tribe of people who are waiting for Messiah in accordance with the prophecies of Daniel. The Magi as well, we know some things about them from history. They were uh, a part of the Senate of the Persian kingdom. It was called the Magistani, and they were the kingmakers of the day. So very similar to a lot of, of pagan cultures. If you were going to be the pharaoh, you had to be trained in all of the arts and the sciences and the superstitions of the uh, priests of Egypt before you could become pharaoh. The same would be true if you were going to be the king of the Persians. You would have to be trained and approved by the Magi. At the time of Matthew's writing, there's some very interesting, I mean, I won't take you too deep into history, but it helps you understand uh, what we read in Matthew 2 when you understand the history of the day. Let me just give you a little map here that kind of explains it. Here's the Roman Empire, and here's the Parthian Empire, the Persian Empire, and this is where the Magi are from. So uh, they're from the capital somewhere in here, and uh, the nation of, of Israel is over here and so you're going about 850 miles to go from there to there and what happened was the Parthians and the Romans were trying to control this part of the Mediterranean and on three different occasions they had significant battles there was one probably around 60 to 65 BC another one in 55 BC and then in 40 BC Herod the Great uh, goes to Rome and he tells the, the Roman Senate, listen, if you will give me money, I will raise an army and I'll defeat the Parthians and drive them back out of the Mediterranean coast. Surprisingly, he, they give him the money, he goes back, and in 37 BC, uh, Herod drives the Parthians back out of the Mediterranean area, and in gratitude, Rome confers on him the title, the King of the Jews. This is how he becomes the King of the Jews. So we, we, as we read the story, you go back to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So here they come, they, they come riding in. It's not, they're not riding camels. They're accompanied probably, uh, if it's a company of, of the Magi, they, they, historians tell us they traveled in groups of 50 to 100. So there would be, there would be 50 to 100 wise men. They would be the nobility of Persia. They would be accompanied by a thousand mounted cavalry. So they're coming into Jerusalem and there's this essentially an army that is coming into Jerusalem. And as they come into Jerusalem, there's Herod and he knows who they are. He knows they're the kingmakers of their day. He knows that they're the ones who identify royalty. He knows that they're the ones who study the stars. They're the ones who are able to interpret dreams. He knows all of this. On top of that, historians tell us his army is down in the south near the border with Egypt. And so they're out of the area. And so the people he defeated just 30 years earlier are now showing up and they're asking, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? 
All of that gives you this sense of the tremendous tension that is happening in Jerusalem, of the fear that Herod is, is, is uh, feeling in that moment. But in the midst of all of that, what I want to do is focus less on Herod and focus more on the Magi, because I think what we see in their life are some very wonderful truths about worship. Number one, I want to just give you five real quick. Worship involves personal sacrifice. Worship involves personal sacrifice. Let me show you the map again. Here they come. They come from here over to there. That's not an easy journey. That's 850 miles. But they are, they are intent on worshiping the Savior, worshiping the King of the Jews. What makes worship powerful, what makes worship significant, what catches heaven's notice is when we understand that worship isn't based on our comfort zone, what we're comfortable with. It's not based on convenience, on what's easy for us. It's not based on, on uh, you know, if, if we, we can't be worried about what other people think. They could have had a lot of people in the Parthian Empire who said, what? Are you crazy? Why are you going there? That doesn't make any sense. Who cares about a king of the Jews? You're not even Jewish, so why do you care? Why don't you stay back here? This is, gonna, this is where you belong. This is what you should give your time to. But no, when you are a person of worship and you care about worship, you understand that there is a sacrifice personally to worship, which is a part of the offering that we're giving to God. Listen, you came tonight. There was a sacrifice. Some of you, you're very, very tired. Some of you have had a very, very hard week. Some of you, it's not easy to get here, but you sacrifice personally to come in here. You maybe didn't feel like it. You maybe didn't really want to go. You thought I should go, but you're here. And that's part of worship is saying, listen, it's not about me. It's about the one I'm worshiping. And however far I have to travel, that's what I'm going to do to worship him. Look at it in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who's been born the King of the Jews? You can imagine Herod is like, what? I'm the King of the Jews. And now they're saying, no, there's one born of the King of the Jews. And he knows that they know what they're talking about. It said, we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. They understood that the right response to the good news of a Messiah born, a savior born, a king born, was that they would worship. And no matter what it cost them, no matter where it took them, no matter what it required of them, they were willing to worship the king because he's worthy of that kind of worship, amen? Well, second, worship opens our eyes to spiritual realities. It opens our eyes to spiritual realities. Look at it in Matthew chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. The word in the Greek is he was agitated. It's like his knees were knocking together. He was, he was shaken would be a way to understand that. And all Jerusalem with him. Why is Jerusalem disturbed? because here comes this mounted cavalry, their armies out of the area. When Herod's upset, they know bad things happen. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Right away they answer, it's very interesting. Herod says, these guys say a Messiah has been born. If that's so, where would he be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they say, well, if he's born, he's born in Bethlehem in Judea, just four and a half miles south of Jerusalem. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. That's gonna figure in to when he goes and sends soldiers to slaughter all the infants in Bethlehem. He, he says, let's kill every male child two years and younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is why we know the Magi are coming and, and at this point, Jesus is a toddler. He's 18 months, maybe two years old. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And literally the place is a house. He's not in the stable. They've found a house. They're living there in that place. You say, what is the star? Well, some people say, well, it's the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and all these different things. The star is not a real star. If the star is right that close to earth, it's going to incinerate Bethlehem. So we know it's not a real star. What is it? The star is, is the Shekinah glory of God. It is the glory of God in the heavens. God places his glory in the heavens. Remember when the shepherds are there, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of God shone around them. And so there was glory on that first night. And these wise men see the glory glory from 850 miles away. It's amazing, isn't it? And they not only see it 850 miles away, but as they make their way out of Jerusalem, they see the glory of God going before them, leading them to the exact house where Jesus is living. It's the glory of God leading them. And yet here are all of the religious brain trust and all of these people who, who should know, they do know, and they don't even make the journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. In fact, they never saw the glory. Was the glory there? Yes. Was the glory bright enough? It could be seen 850 miles away? Yes. Why is it that they couldn't see it? And the answer is found that when you and I are worshiping, we're going to see things no one else sees. When you and I are in the presence of the Lord, we're going to sense, we're going to understand, we're going to perceive, we're going to be aware of things that other people aren't. There's something about being in the presence of the Lord that, that when you come on Wednesday night, it sensitizes your heart to his presence, not only in this moment, but as you go home and tomorrow when you get up. 
When you're in church on Sunday, when you're worshiping the Lord, when you have your quiet time, your devotional time, when you're in the Word, when you're worshiping God, it opens our eyes to spiritual realities and to see things that everybody else misses. They make it that journey. They're able to do that because they are worshipers. Such a huge value in being in the presence of the Lord, loving him enough to worship him, taking time. Listen, it's why it's so valuable to when you start your day to worship him, when you lay down at night to worship him, when you have extra time to worship him, because when you're in his presence, it opens our eyes, it opens our heart, it opens our spirit, it strengthens us to know his will, his way, to sense what he's doing in any given moment. Worshippers see what no one else sees. Number three, worship results in great joy. I love this. Look at it in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So they see the star, and that's the glory of God. When, they, when the glory of the Lord is present, they are, they are just so thrilled. You see, when you and I are in the presence of the Lord... In your presence, Psalm 1611, I believe it is, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. You want to you be happy in the Lord, be in his presence. Just focus on him. Focus on him and push everything else out that's crowding out your joy and your, your awareness of him. And if you can focus on him, you'll find your heart filled with great joy. Here are these men from the east, and when they see the star and they see the glory of God and they know they're getting closer and closer to Jesus, the closer they get, the more joy they have. It's an amazing thing. Number, number four. Worship involves giving to God. So there are gifts that they give. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So Joseph and Mary have taken up residence in Bethlehem. You say, why is that? Because they understand that the king of Israel is going to come from Bethlehem, and that is where their Joseph's roots are, and so they're staying in the place where he was born. And then these men opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know exactly what they would have given him, but let's say they gave him a 50-pound chest, uh, a box with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's the value of that? Probably millions of dollars. And there's a prophetic nature to it. Uh, there's an appropriate nature to it. Um, gold is a gift fitting, fitting for a king. So gold speaks of, the, of his majesty. Frankincense, that's incense used in, in worship, speaks of him as the great priest, speaks of his deity. So you could say gold is his majesty, frankincense is his deity, and myrrh is used as part of a preparation for death. So it was aromatic. It was a spice, very, very valued, very, very expensive, but used to embalm people or wrap people in their grave clothes. I think uh, Jesus, when he's buried, they use 75 pounds of it. Very, it was a, his funeral, his, his uh, what they prepared his body with was, it was a wealthy man's preparation 
for death, it fulfilled prophecy. But this speaks of his death, so there's a prophetic nature to what they, they give, but they're giving something. Worship has to do that. Worship has to give. Do you realize when you and I sing and you may not feel like you can sing, you may not feel like you have the best voice, but God's not listening to the notes, he's listening to the heart. That's why it's really important to sing. Don't ever, don't ever talk yourself out of singing to the Lord because the Lord loves to hear your voice and it's part of your gift to him. It's part of what you're, you're lifting up to him. The fruit of our lips, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, giving praise, giving thanks. So part of what we're offering, part of the gift is, is simply God, all of me. So it's, it's all of you, all of us giving all that we are to him. So when we're giving our, when we're, we're lifting our hands, it's using our energy, it's using our body, it's using, it's, it's obeying the, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. It's obeying the commands, but you're, what you're doing is you're giving him the gift of obedience. You're giving him the gift of praise. You're giving him the gift of honor. You're, you're, you're offering yourself as the sacrifice and worship to him. Are you with me? So it makes worship important. If worship costs us nothing, then worship is diminished. It's why we give tithes and offerings. It's a part of our worship. We're giving, but we're giving more than just our resource. We're giving our life. We're laying ourselves down to him. We're presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, verse 1, holy and acceptable unto God. And when we do that, God is pleased. When we do that, it, it makes a difference. And that's, that's the last thing I want you to notice is that worship changes you. It changes you. Now there's something in the story that unless you're, you're Jewish and Matthew is Jewish and he's writing to a Jewish audience and so he includes this, they would readily understand the significance of this line. You and I might not understand it quite so quickly. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So on the surface, it appears, well, you know, they don't want Herod to know, you know, to retrace their steps. And so it'd be easy for him to find them. Listen, uh, a group of a thousand people is going to leave a pretty, pretty big set of tracks, right? It's not going to be too hard to track them down. What this is saying is when you go to the temple, if you would go to the temple of that time, um, there were a set of steps and doors for entering the temple when you were going up onto the Temple Mount. And then after you worshiped, you went out and went down a different set of steps. And the reason why is the significance of that was that you're going out a different way because you're a different person. You've been in the presence of the Lord, and so having been in the presence of the Lord, it's changed you, it's made you different. You came tonight, you're not going to leave the same as you came in Jesus' name. You're, you diff, you're different. You've been exposed to his presence. It's changed you. It may be imperceptible to you, but by faith, if you'll take hold of that and say, I'm a different person. I was in his presence. I was with him. Listen, when we're with Jesus, it changes us. 
We're going to see that when we get into Acts chapter 4. I mean, Peter and, and John, is, as they're talking to the Jewish Supreme Court, here's what it says. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They were different people. When you're in the presence of the Lord, it makes you different. Worship changes us. It changes how we think. It changes what we see. It changes what we value. Our, our lives are really, in a very real sense, recalibrated to the great issues of life, which really is God and our service of God and our knowing Him and our loving Him and our walking with Him. And it really gets everything back into perspective. If nothing else, tonight in His presence made it possible for you to have your priorities recalibrated calibrated so you go out of here back on track or maybe you came and you needed healing and you go out of here and you're healed or maybe you came and you needed a financial miracle and you go out of here and God has given you that but whatever the case and however it works worship's changed you it's changed your heart it's changed your life that's what the presence of God does they leave a different route because they're different people they've been in the presence of the king of kings they've worshiped him and now they're never going to be the same again. Amen.